Handelsbanken is a local relationship bank built on satisfied customers, financial strength and sustainable values. Find out more at handelsbanken.co.uk. Welcome to Handelsbanken Insights. On this week's episode, we'll be looking at inflation, the tightening of money supply and the effects on the economy. And we'll be taking a closer look at a speech the Prime Minister gave in London this week. We'll also be looking briefly at the autumn statement, talking about residential rental prices and to end with a little bit of good news. I'm Sonia Rothwell and joining me today is James Sproul, Handelsbanken's UK Chief Economist. So, James, inflation, it's now at 4.6%. What was the magic that happened to make that take place? Well, thanks, Sonia. Uh, Of course, um, this had been expected. And in fact, um, we had always been looking for a big drop. One of the things that's that's peculiar about the UK is that we have the energy price cap and that adjusts itself four times a year. And so because we had seen energy prices falling back from from the level they were a year ago, we always knew we were going to get a big drop in inflation in October and it came through. Uh, in fact, Fed came through a little bit more strongly than we expected. We expected to drop to about 4.8, and it came through at 4.6. So people are very, very happy about uh, that strong drop, and of course, uh, you know, shows inflation is well on its way down to its 2% target. Now, looking forward, a couple of things are really important about this. First of all, we've now essentially accounted for the significant portion of those energy price drops. So now we're really looking more at core inflation. In fact, core inflation is slightly above the level of a whole economy inflation. So we're not looking for big drops uh, through the rest of this year. The other problem we have is, of course, goods and services inflation, which has, has been fairly um, steady. And of course, that's a lot of salaries. And salaries don't fall as quickly. And we never thought they were, go- were going to fall as quickly. But it's going to be a big push over the next year to make sure that uh, we don't see unsustainable wage rises be coming through in all of that. Um, looking a bit further out, there's another thing which I think does need to be considered quite a lot. And that's what's going on with the money supply. Now, um, you sometimes hear them referred to as monitors. Those are people, economists who look at the money supply a lot in determining inflation. And the problem has always been that you can't look at an increase in the money supply in month or quarter one and think that that's going to lead to a supply increase in inflation in quarter two or three. It, it isn't that quick. Uh, it isn't that dependable. It's a very poor signal to say you know, when, when A happens, B comes about. But it does come about eventually. And right now what we're seeing is a plunging money supply. So the money supply is negative in both the Eurozone, in the United States, and the UK. And uh, ultimately, in the next couple of years, not the next year or so, but in the next couple of years beyond that, the medium term, it does suggest that we're likely to see some pretty significant falls to inflation. I mean, may- maybe not going negative, but certainly going down to um, very, very low levels, possibly below the Bank of England's target. That's something to be bearing in mind for the medium term in all of this. But for the moment, good news, uh, on track, I think it's going to be a bit sticky uh, through, through this year, rest of this year, and a little bit of a, a sort of forward look beyond that. So just take me through what the impact is of the, the money supply in the economy that, that we might see. Is it to do with the availability of credit? Yes, it, it's a large part of the availability of credit. And um, when uh, the money supply is expanding, both banks but other financial, other financial players have a lot more money to play with. And you, you find that uh, lending criteria are easier interest rates are themselves lower. And of course, what we've seen is, is both considerable increase in the interest rates, but also banks themselves have less money because the, the, the credit window from um, the Federal Reserve or the Bank of England or the European Central Bank is just that much more constrained. The big big one they're doing right now, of course, is quantitative tightening. And so they're continually pulling money out of the economy in that. And that needs to happen. Absolutely, QT is a good thing because we want to make sure that we 
um, have powder dry when the next time we have uh, some sort of a downturn and the central banks, if they have to intervene, they can. But you have to be careful about it. I think the Bank of England is being careful about this, um, but it does have implications for the longer term as well. You had a, a ringside seat at a, a significant speech that the Prime Minister gave this week, which lots of people think was an opening statement on, on an election campaign. What, what was he saying about the economy? He was setting out his sort of long-term economic strategy and ambitions. Now, this is not the first time he set out long-term strategy and ambitions, but this is all part of the economic one. And of course, later this week, we've got the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt standing up and giving us his autumn statement. And uh, I think it's part of a coordinated view to say, here's the Prime Minister setting up the strategy, and the Chancellor's going to fill in a lot of the detail on that. So just to, to go over some of the things the Prime Minister was saying, uh, he, he kicked off by saying that um, he wanted uh, everybody in the UK to be able to have um, aspirations. He liked an aspirational society. He wanted them to be able to own their own home, uh, which has clearly been a problem for, for many people right in the last few years, particularly younger people. He wanted them to be able to start a business. Uh, he wanted them to have a good retirement. And he wanted uh, them to be able to leave their children a good legacy, which I, I think you can read uh, that they are looking to do something on inheritance taxes, potentially one of the things that Jeremy Hunt may talk about later this week. Other things that they they uh, really pushing on, he wanted to get inflation down. He was very proud of the fact that he had said he was going to have inflation and that that had come through. Um, but if we listening a few moments ago, a large part of that, of course, was due to um, the fall in energy prices. So how much of that's due to the government is open question, but uh, that's he's, he's certainly claiming the political credit where he can. Um, and he wants to see private sector driving growth across the economy as a whole. He did have five long-term priorities, which he said. One was reducing debt, which clearly needs to happen. We've got huge amounts of debt, 100% of GDP, and there needs to be on, on a, a steady long-term path downwards. The easiest way he's, he wanted to do that was to start to spur growth, which clearly is, is preferable to cutting lots and lots of spending, but it's also difficult to, to conjure up out of nowhere. He wanted to cut tax. That's clearly a conservative party that's taken tax levels to the level the, to the rate they are now. Is It's not a comfortable place for the prime minister and the chancellor to be. And so I think a lot of people looking for tax cuts coming uh, in, in the autumn statement later this week. He talked about uh, sustainable energy, and he didn't just mean pushing towards net zero, which he, he reiterated, but he also meant that we needed to make sure that we had a, a sustainable energy supply, that we weren't dependent upon other sources for, say, natural gas from Qatar or from Algeria or from the US or wherever else. He wanted to have more UK domestic supplies. And for that reason, he's been granting more licenses to explore in the North Sea. We'll see how that develops over time. He wanted to back British businesses. And I think that this is really about investing in tech and innovation. And so uh, one of the questions he's got here is, is, how do we do that? And he wanted to deliver world-class education, which is a bit like wishing motherhood an apple pie. But um, you know what he was going on about that was is he, he likes his advanced British standard, which is replacing the A-levels. And he liked um, the idea of technical education being pushed up and becoming more important than it has been traditionally. It was a wide-ranging speech. I think it was reasonably well received by, by the audience. But we'll have to see what happens on um, the autumn statement later this week. Which brings us nicely to talking about the autumn statement. We'll look at it very briefly, I think, because it's very quickly going to go out of date. But you've mentioned a couple of things in your answer there about potential cuts to inheritance tax. What do you think might be the other things that, that we can expect to see in the autumn statement? Well, the autumn statement is, is one of the Chancellor's two big set piece species here. He has a spring budget and an autumn statement. And then traditionally, he wants to set up sort of what, how the economy is going. And the, the budget would be the one where he would set up more about tax and spend. But as I said, the, the constraints on him are such now that the, the Tory party, the backbenchers are really looking for a, a evidence of tax cutting, not in the future, but now. So I think that that's going to be more, more coming through on that. 
so a couple of things on uh, what's going on with the tax. Of course, uh, we have had a lot of tax rises, and people particularly point to the corporation tax rise. But the biggest one in terms of revenue for the government has been what's called fiscal drag, which means that they don't adjust the thresholds at which you start paying tax or start paying higher rates of tax. That's good in, in some, from a chancellor's point of view because people don't tend to complain about it, yet it raises them a lot of money. So I don't think that they're going to be changing that particularly. And I don't think the Labour Party, if it were in power, would change it either. I think that this is just one of those things that chancellors from whatever party they come from are quite happy to see extra money coming into the Treasury with little complaint. One of the things that we are going to be seeing is a lot more debate around the whole Treasury's mantra, which is they put it recently, is that tax cuts are inflationary. Now, the idea behind this is that if you put more demand into the economy, that that means that people have got to spend the money. And therefore, there's a, a, a temptation to say, where can we cut taxes which doesn't put demand into the economy or doesn't put much demand into the economy? That may well be one of the reasons that they end up favoring inheritance tax a bit, because typically when people have inheritance tax and that when they receive that money from their, often obviously their parents, they, they tend to invest it. And so if you want to drive up longer-term investment in the economy, this may be a way to do that. There has been talk about moving uh, some money around on the basic rate of income tax, but if you do buy the idea that we have inflationary impulses from tax cuts, then that probably isn't as, as tempting an idea on, on all of that. Well, I can't wait to see what comes out of the Chancellor's speech, and uh, we'll keep you informed on the podcast next week. Now, moving on to one of our favourite topics, which is housing. There's some data that's out about residential rental prices. Anecdotally, if you look in the media, you can see lots of stories about how high rents are. What did the data say? Well, the data is really sort of supporting what we've been saying for some time, which is that rental prices continue to go up really quite rapidly, and particularly in London, which uh, had underperformed a lot during the pandemic itself, of course, um, but has had a, a really uh, swift recovery. Now, our, our line for some time has been and remains that um, property, rental property, commercial property, always has to have some sort of premium to gilt rates. Gilts have corrected very quickly, and property is in the process of, of correcting to make sure that the property yield is at probably 3 to 4% above a gilt yield. Now, part of that is going to be achieved through capital revaluations, which are, are ongoing. And in, in previous podcasts, we have discussed the drop from peak to trough, which we still think is probably between close to 8% in the UK. That's for residential property. And we're about halfway through that. So we're expecting to see continued residential property falls through the rest of this year and probably into Q1 before we start to see the bottom of the market there. But we're also seeing rental prices going up. And again, this is all part of this, this readjustment. We've had a very, very rapid adjustment in gilt yields and property is simply following suit and all of that. And as I say, particularly London has seen some very, very strong growth indeed. Okay, so that's another story that we will obviously keep track of. And just to finish off, we could do a little bit of good news. Have you got some good news for us, James? I do. Um, one of the things, and I'm often asked to, to look longer term and, you know, what are going to be the longer term prospects of the UK? Which countries are going to do well? We have to watch all of these things all the time. But what is the biggest thing that drives long-term prosperity within a society? And of course, you know, going back to, to Charles Darwin, he said, it's not the strongest that survive, it's the most agile. So agility is really, really key here. And so we're looking at the degree of innovation within a society. And I've long been on the view, there is an arc of innovation across Europe as a whole. And it starts in the UK, goes to the Netherlands, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, the Baltic States. Those are places where there's a lot of innovation. It's really, really good. And of course, one of the innovations we're seeing right now is AI. Now, 
obviously lots of ructions have gone in with the Microsoft this week. I'm not going to go to those, but, but Goldman Sachs put out a really uh, interesting report where they looked at how much AI is likely to impact economies in the longer term. And their view was it could be worth between 0.3 and 0.4% on your GDP every year um, after it's been implemented, which they think could take, probably take three to four years before it starts to kick in. Um, but that's that's really positive. And you think, well, 0.3% is, is not that big a deal. But remember that we're seeing the working age population drop by 0.1. And that's the demographics are seen to be very much a headwind. Well, what they're saying here is AI could be more than compensating for the losses we're having demographically. So this is, I think, a, a big, bit of good news and sort of the way that technology is going to help. It's going to change the, the way we live, it'll change the way that we work, but it's also going to add to the total sum of wealth and prosperity in our societies. That's really interesting. I mean, presumably that extra um, addition to the economy is through efficiency because it's quite famously you know, making a lot of, of very manual processes more efficient, isn't it, AI? It's, it's certainly efficiency, but if we look at the way that t technology tends to work in these places, the first gains are efficiency gains. And then uh, what you find after that is people develop more and more ways to use this new technology. And um, they develop people people's demands um, change as a result. And therefore, your GDP goes up because it, the, the nature of, of consumer demand changes to want more of the goods or services produced in a particular way. So if we look at something like electricity, to, for, for instance, you know, way back when, it was originally just to drive machines. But over time, people discovered all sorts of other things, including sort of electric light. And you know, electric light was very, very good because it was, enabled you to, to light up buildings in the winter. But of course, you know, that's the, the sum good of electric light is really quite considerable. And imagine how much further behind we would be as humans if we didn't have that. So I think there are lots and lots of things. And the spillovers have become, become really, very, very considerable. Uh, and we're just at the very beginning of that. And where, where it ends up, it's impossible to say. Uh, but other than the, you know, the chances of it being a very much a positive as opposed to a negative, I think it is very much in the positive category. Thank you, James, for that and for all of those insights. If you've liked what you've heard, don't forget to rate us on the app where you're listening as it helps other people find us. And you can also share this episode on social media. We will be back with you next Monday. See you then. <laughs>